Hi there, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching. And if you are parenting a sensitive child or teen who has said things like, oh, I wish that I would, I would rather die than do my homework or life would be better off without me. I'd rather be dead than finish this task and stuck in perfectionism, then make sure that you stay tuned. We're gonna talk all about how to break out of this pattern. Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling? If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. Here at MTC, we help parents break out of the meltdown cycle. The meltdown cycle is one that uh, is is riddled with uh, either physical aggression or verbal aggression. Uh, where your sensitive child is yelling, hitting, kicking, screaming, uh, running away, threatening to, uh, saying that life would be better off without them, um, threatening to hurt people. And uh, with that being said, when you're stuck in that meltdown cycle, there's a certain level of severity that needs to be addressed through parenting. Uh, and, and if your child's major triggers, you might see a pattern or major triggers are when your child is disappointed in what they uh, were trying to achieve, that they're not able to achieve uh, what they are trying to do. Uh, and this is true for teens. If they're perfectionistic and that's leading them to not even try, uh, then make sure that you're focusing on what we have to say here because this is the problem that we help parents solve consistently and we've been doing this for years. We help parents break out of this cycle in as little as eight weeks. And we've been doing this, uh, I've been working in this field for over 10 years. And uh, we've been doing this in this capacity for several years through, through coaching. And what's important to understand about this pattern is, uh, is the topic that we're going to talk about today. And that is the pattern of perfectionism. So highly sensitive kids and teens alike, the highly sensitive personality trait uh, can uh, struggle, people with the highly sensitive personality trait can struggle with wanting to accomplish a task uh, and do it right the first time. That's perfectionism, um, not being satisfied with anything but perfection, okay, uh, with anything but the best uh, results possible. And so when we think about sensitive kids and how they can have really big expectations about what they want to complete and how things can uh, go awry if their, ne- their expectations are not met regularly, uh, there's an important component to perfectionistic tendencies uh, that, that move closer to and are inside the meltdown cycle than the average highly sensitive child. So um, today we're going to talk about how that plays into suicidal uh, thinking, self-harm thinking. And I'm going to talk about this particular topic because uh, over the, the course of the spring, uh, there's been a string of a young adult and, and teenage suicides uh, that are uh, where those children were pegged as perfectionists. And I want you to be paying attention to uh, where this challenge can come from in your own home uh, so that you can stop the cycle. As uh, you might know, what our mission here at MTC is, is to stop the cycle of chronic suicidality, chronic self-harm of sensitive kids and sensitive teens alike. 
And we do that through the relationship with parents and helping you break out of the meltdown cycle. And part of this is prevention um, of those major behaviors that are obviously the worst case scenario. Parents, every nightmare uh, is to hear your child say uh, that, that they would rather be dead, right? Um, and when you hear that, you might wonder, how serious is this? How much time do I have? And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Because um, sensitive kids have a much higher likelihood of developing chronic, chronic suicidal thoughts and chronic suicidal self-harm behaviors when certain factors are present in their home environment. And that is our specialty here at MTC, helping parents break out of that pattern. So we are not your regular everyday run of the mill coaches who coach parents of sensitive kids who might just be sad about um, a friend rejecting them um, every once in a while. No, um, there are plenty of books that you could read to potentially avoid that situation or to, um, to, to support your child on your own without our help. Um, our specialty is breaking out of the meltdown cycle. And the meltdown cycle is uh, re relevant to parents whose kids are melting down, uh, as I mentioned, the behavior here, uh, where those meltdowns might last 10, 15, 20 minutes um, or longer. Okay, we've worked with families where their meltdowns are hours long and uh, or the child is having multiple meltdowns a day and it just feels like the the, the pendulum of that intensity um, or sorry the the roller coaster of that intensity your child never ends up returning to baseline just always on edge and you're just wondering uh, when your kid's gonna blow up again and that is our specialty that's the dynamic here so so if your child is not yet struggling with daily meltdowns not yet struggling with multiple times a day meltdowns and yet uh, is experiencing meltdowns on a regular basis, like multiple times a week, um, then make sure that you're still staying tuned because I'm not here to tell you that um, everything is sugar plums and, and rainbows and it's gonna get better in your situation either. Uh, we've been doing this for a long enough time to notice when children start to exhibit these signs that it ends up getting worse um, without make, making significant and transformational change in the home for the whole family dynamic. Uh, and this is really important to understand because for you as a parent, if you've been playing whack-a-mole trying to solve um, your child's worries for years, you can you really need to learn what is keeping you stuck in this cycle and just uh, changing the behavior that you might be seeing from your child without really ripping out the cause from the root. So we're going to talk about that today, okay? So um, when we think about challenging uh, this dynamic and, and breaking out of it entirely, uh, it's important for us to get clear on what's really going on in your home, okay? So um, when your child is, is saying things like, um, you know, I'd rather die than do the homework or um, I won't do it, I I'm not going to school, school's awful, uh, I can't make it to soccer practice, it's, it's the worst, um, in the midst of a meltdown or if your child is, is not saying anything but just simply screaming, uh, no, 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 I can't go, I can't go, they won't let me. Um, my, my coach is mean, my teacher's mean, any, anything um, of that nature, um, without a lot of detail around the, the nature of the problem, then uh, this is the challenge that we're focusing on here. It's likely that part of the issue that your child is struggling with is perfectionism and uh, wanting to get things done right and really struggling significantly with, with um, self-acceptance, um, with cutting themselves some slack, being able to observe how they can grow into a skill, uh, all of that. And um, this is important for you as a parent because if you're thinking about how to, uh, to break out of this pattern, you might be inclined to reassure. Uh, you might tell your nine-year-old that, um, you know, this is just, it's just soccer. You don't, 
um, you know, this is grade school soccer. We just have you in it to, you know, to, to get exercise. Um, we're not expecting you to be a world-class soccer player. Um, it doesn't matter to us whether your team wins or loses. Uh, and it's not okay to throw your body on the floor and to scream and stomp and, um, and, and kick stuff uh, when the game is over and if you don't win. Okay, that's not okay. Um, you might try to reassure your teenager by saying, look, all I'm asking is if, that you try. Um, it's going to be all right. It's just, you know, AP biology. And um, if you don't get an A, that's fine. And we're not expecting you to get an A. We're expecting you to try your best. Um, and you might try to have these conversations over and over and over again. And, um, you know, it might not be an AP class. It might be that, that this is the, you know, the hardest class your kid is in, um, for them is, um, is, is a general education class of say geometry or, or, or algebra two or whatever. Um, and, and it's just not, math is just not their, their strong suit in the way that it's being taught right now. And you might be um, trying to investigate, well, what about this math problem? is the challenge, okay? What about um, the teacher is mean? And, and this could be related to, to kids of any age. And when you try to go down that rabbit hole of, of figuring out the, the, the problem by trying to, to um, you know, by trying to solve the problem by just learning more details about it, you're missing the mark. Your child is moving into this pattern of thinking that if it's not awesome, it's awful. And uh, that dynamic is a symptom of the meltdown cycle. So uh, it's important to avoid that, that pattern of, of just trying to um, teach your child uh, incident by incident on what to do differently. Um, and, and because what happens next is that you ultimately lose your cool. You ultimately either say, you know what, fine, um, whatever, I, I've tried. Um, and you walk away with your hands up or um, you say, you know what, enough is enough. We are a family who follows through on our commitments. And for you, the commitment is, is to be a student. That's your job right now. And so I expect you to get the homework done. Uh, I don't want to hear any more about it. Um, or, you know, we've signed you up for soccer and I expect you to, um, to, complete, um, to complete the season. And then maybe we'll talk about not signing you up for soccer next time. But I don't know because I'm not going to raise a quitter. Um, and that might not be exactly how you talk to your kid, but that's the emotional experience and the thoughts that you're having. You don't want your child to learn to quit as their coping skill, right? Um, let alone, obviously, the worst part of quitting, which is threatening to die. And, um, and, and so when we think about, um, you know, which is worse than quitting, I should say, not the worst part of quitting, but for, your, for sensitive kids, uh, this is something that we hear kids say often. You know, we speak to hundreds of families every month. We work with hundreds of families every year. And um, this is not a, a dynamic that I am just pulling out of 1% of, of the families that we work with. Uh, there are families around the world who are struggling with this challenge and their children are saying those things. Uh, and these are five-year-olds, six-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds, um, etc. So if, if this is going on in your home, uh, it's important for you to know that you are not alone and this is a, this is a problem that can be addressed. It can be stopped um, and it's not typical for sensitive kids. It is not. Uh, this is our specialty here at MTC. Um, and uh, we are the only ones who specialize in this because you don't need many specialists in this area. Um, 
with that being said, there's just some pretty clear and, and core components to understanding the severity of this issue uh, that a lot of professionals are, are going to brush under the rug or just say, you know, words are words and um, actions are more relevant, relevant here. Um, and that's not true. If your child is expecting uh, their life to be better when they're dead, uh, that's obviously something to take very seriously. And so when we think about this, particularly for sensitive kids, um, it's, it's incredibly important to understand uh, the, the seriousness, but also the fact that I'm talking about this like, um, like I hear it all the time because I do. And it's also true that I'm not here to sugarcoat it with you. You know, you might be really optimistic as a parent, um, as many of us are, right? We see our child's dreams, we envision our child's future, and, um, and we think, you know, the world is your oyster. You have everything available to you. All I'm here to do is help you learn to reach it and trust it. And, um, and, and that is true. As a parent, we are, we are designed to help our children live their best life um, and to envision their best life in order to, in order to live it, right? And when, um, when our children say that, it can be pretty tempting to, um, you know, to try to justify the thought as um, not that big of a deal. Um, you know, my kid doesn't really mean it. Most of the time they are okay with their success. Most of the time they survive. Uh, when they don't go, they eventually get over it when, when you know, when things don't go their way. Um, all of those things you might be saying to yourself, to your co-parent, to your spouse, um, to, you know, to other professionals. You might not even bring it up to uh, the pediatrician or if you're involved to working with a therapist. It might not be something that your therapist is asking about regularly or, um, or, or is tracking with you. And, and that's a really serious concern um, that, that you need to be paying attention to. Uh, and I speak from professional but also personal um, uh, experience. So um, you might be aware, based on how long you've been following me um, and what we teach here at MTC, that my expertise is in working with sensitive kids, especially sensitive teens with chronic self-harm, chronic self-suicidality. I've been trained in serving that population in the mental health world as a, as a mental health therapist um, for many, many years. And uh, we run a team um, in, in my private practice in doing that and um, in addressing that particular issue. Uh, there are certain specific uh, markers of a child who grew up in, in a household where this behavior continues. Um, once they get to us by the time they're teens, it's important to understand the key components of uh, how teens end up going down uh, that path of engaging in chronic self-harm, engaging in chronic suicidality, because it doesn't just start with hormones. It doesn't just start with um, a bad breakup. It doesn't just start with the stress of high school um, and, and the challenges that a rigorous education might, uh, might play, whether that be in public or private or or even homeschoolers uh, struggling with this with this concern. Um, it, it's important to understand that uh, this dynamic is not pandemic uh, related. It is not something that um, that is just all of a sudden showing up. You know, I've been working in, with this population um, for, like I said, over a decade, and uh, and so you know, the pandemic is just highlighting uh, an intense uh, lack of skill for a larger portion of the of the of the population, rather than saying that the kids are kids have been doing all right for a while. Um, and then this is just a major traumatic experience. Uh, none of that's true. What is true is that uh, sensitive kids are struggling significantly in the way that we raise them. Uh, highly sensitive people make up one out of every five. Okay, so that's 20% of the population. 
if you want to go with the conservative numbers that are more based in research than the numbers that um, some of the coaches are, or, or experts are, are touting now. They're kind of inflating those numbers that aren't always um, in vetted research. So I'm going to stick with the research of one out of every, tw every five. That's 20%. Um, but when you look at the people who seek therapy, the people who find the need to go get a therapist, um, they make up 50% of the population. That means one out of every two. So 50% of, of people who feel um, stressed out, emotionally out of control, emotionally um, uh, distraught to the point where they need professional support and they need to consider themselves the, the, the highlight of that need. Um, half of those people are highly sensitive. So why do the odds not match up to the ratios here? Why does the data um, show us, or what does the data show us? The data shows us that when we raise children in a suck it up perspective or in a, um, a reward for, uh, for performance perspective, we are significantly dulling the sparkle of highly sensitive kids. Highly sensitive kids can be more creative than their peers. Highly sensitive kids can be more passionate than their peers. Highly sensitive kids can be more skillful and more successful than their peers and not that is not possible, uh, not if they are raised in an invalidating environment. The, the relationship you have, your, you as a parent, have with your child who's highly sensitive has a protective factor uh, if, you, if you raise your child in an invalidating environment against this, this chronic self-harm and chronic suicidality that I'm talking about. So uh, the reasons that the teens are going to therapy more regularly um, are because they are overwhelmed, they are depressed, they're isolating, um, they are they are not getting out of bed, they're not engaging regularly in their in their day to day tasks, and um, and and then parents are seeking therapy or they're they're anxiety ridden and um, nervous in all kinds of situations. But sensitive kids who are more appropriate for um, identifying that they, they want to be able to break out of their own patterns. Um, these are kids who are isolating and, and realizing they're not living up to their full potential, uh, but there might not, there, there's not a, a clinical depression um, uh, signature there that makes therapy the more appropriate route. And so when we think about sensitive teens who are on their way uh, to, to making this isolation be um, leading to depressive symptoms uh, compared to those who are just... Uh, more tended to check out or tended to shut down or, or refuse or um, he be he quite hesitant to, to, to grow, like to go drive and get their license and um, to go to social events and, um, you know, get invited to sleepovers and say yes to them, etc. Um, this is the, the teen population that we work with in, in a coaching realm. And um, in the, that setting, when we help the teens that are that are in that that are in that setting seeking that support in their parents, one key component is uh, supporting the parents in learning how to understand the way that their teen operates. Because um, you know, if you're parenting a teen or if you're parenting a young child, um, sensitive uh, kids want friends. Okay, they want that engagement. Um, they want to be able to uh, laugh and, and hang out with their peers. 30% um, of, of highly sensitive people are extroverts, actually. So they actually um, grow their energy by being around people. So um, there's a big difference between a, a recluse, a child who self-isolates uh, because they feel stuck in their own turtle shell, 
um, and a child who, uh, who experiences more effective relationships by having one-on-one -on -one friendships, playdates, et cetera, um, than in, in mass groups, you know, and, and, and that's, that's the, the latter experience I talked about was introversion versus extroversion. Isolation, self-isolation, self, um, self, uh, self-selecting out of social events, that is a more anxiety-driven decision and an ineffective um, part of the shutdown cycle for sensitive teens compared to um, compared to just a, a personality trait that would be more akin to introversion um, you know wanting to, to you know or homebody if you will um, homebody who's comfortable you know, being on their own and being at home um, is not ridden by anxiety and 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 um, turning down events because and and then being sad about turning down those events and having a lot of FOMO associated with that, fear of missing out, right? Um, that's a symptom of the meltdown cycle or the shutdown cycle, depending on the kid's age and, and the behaviors that we're talking about here. Um, and so that's important for you to know because when we think about where this lands and how this all plays into perfectionism, right? So to go back to perfectionism related to performance, grades, sports, et cetera, um, there's, there's can be some pretty significant concerns when kids are having meltdowns associated with showing up to, um, to performance and, and, and to do what they need to do. And so um, the intensity around that, around getting it wrong, um, can be related to homework, it could, but it can also be related to getting an art project done. Um, you know, your child is coloring or, or painting or what have you, and the paint um, comes through the paper and rips it, right? Um, or they were working on something and they erased it and, and they, they rip it. Um, a teenager who really is, is quite talented at sketching um, but won't uh, sketch because um, they're fearful of, um, of judgment and they don't, they don't want to share it with anybody. Uh, they used to sketch a lot and then they stopped. Uh, super talented and then just look at, you know, their art, art materials might stay on their desk, um, um, but, but they're just not, they're just neglected. That is a symptom of the shutdown cycle. Um, and, and throwing the pencil across the room, that's a meltdown cycle symptom. Um, and when we think about that level of perfectionism, that's the perfectionism uh, that can lead to thinking that life would be better off without you um, and, and that you'd be better off without this pain. And that's the key component for sensitive kids. When we think about suicide and we think about this, the, 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 the decisions to complete suicide or attempt suicide, um, sensitive people are doing this um, to escape the emotional pain of that intensity. And this can be a pretty uh, impulsive decision. And so when we think about the odds, you know, the third leading killer of, um, of teenagers, um, ages 10 through 25, is suicide. And uh, the second leading cause from 14 to 25. And so when we think about that challenge, uh, this is not a, um, this is not a, uh, an anomaly situation that you need to be aware of as a parent is something very serious and uh, and then you do you do need to understand the odds that sensitive kids are much more likely um, to develop these patterns and to, to attempt suicide or, or to um, develop patterns of self-harm those two are not um, interchangeable um, and with that being said um, suicide for uh, for for teens um, adolescent males are more likely to um, to complete suicide uh, because they tend to choose more lethal means, um, and, and adolescent females are more likely to, uh, to attempt suicide. So um, when we think about the studies and, and, and that it's um, gender, gender binary, um, that's just what the, the CDC has been putting out 
lately in, in youth surveys uh, on suicide um, and, and other um, uh, suicide-focused um, suicide uh, studies is, is divided by a, a binary gender um, setup. And so when we think about understanding that, that, um, that research and what it shows, uh, what it shows is that your sensitive kid is um, the protective factor is is not focused on um, on impulsivity. It's not focused on um, the level of pain that your child experiences or how they build their relationships in in um, kind of stereotypical ways. It's focused on uh, what prevents the intensity and what prevents that intensity uh, going from going too far is a clear connection to those who love them and knowing that they are capable, that they are understood uh, by then that their intense emotions don't have to be uh, paired with intense and extreme behaviors uh, like risky behaviors and hurtful behaviors, self-harmful behaviors, uh, threatening behaviors. And all of that is important to understand because the desire to escape the pain is higher than the desire to succeed and persist through challenge. And, and that grit, that pers per persistence um, and resilience, if you will, is what uh, keeps people who are perfectionistic going, okay, um, and, and, and helps them be successful. You know, someone who has achieved a lot in her life, myself, um, I, I had resilience in there, too. Um, and being able to notice the, the, um, the adage, no pain, no gain, um, isn't, isn't the only way to live is really important for sensitive kids because sensitive kids feel pain bigger and harder and more intensely. And so if your sensitive kid doesn't have that um, mentality um, that, that pain is just part of the game um, and, and that, that you know, experience and disappointment is what, and failure is what leads to success, um, then life feels incredibly overwhelming, but it also feels incredibly disappointing. And so when we think about the, the mind of uh, the human being who ends up completing suicide, um, the level of disappointment and lack of expectation for themselves and their abilities, um, as well as lack of capacity and thinking that they're capable, um, all plays a part in their ability to, to break out of the pattern, that the overwhelming pain is too much for them to bear. Um, so there's some myths around that, right? There's some myths that, um, you know, people will say that, that people complete, complete suicide because they view themselves to be a burden, um, that they, you know, think that other people would be better off without them. Um, in working with uh, chronically suicidal people and, um, and, and having uh, several family members complete suicide myself, as well as close friends, um, like close adult um, friends, like friends, uh, best friends, parents, et cetera, things like that, over the years, um, in addition to, to having this professional expertise, um, and, and, uh, at the time of this recording, we're getting, um, you know, it's relevant to, to my most recent relative, um, uh, my cousin who completed suicide, uh, two years ago. The, um, the important component to this is that the relationships of supportive people, um, weren't, um, weren't the, the biggest highlight in, um, in, 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 in the means, the need to affect um, or to escape change, right? So um, those of us who are survivors of, of um, people who have com uh, completed suicide, um, 
we, we, you know, we think, we wonder, we grieve, why didn't they reach out for help? Why didn't they ask for support? And um, well-meaning people might say, well, you know, they thought that, that you had, um, that, that telling you more was too much of a burden. Um, but the research demonstrates and my clinical expertise demonstrates in my experience um, that that just isn't the highest priority of a suicidal person. Um, the highest priority of a suicidal person isn't to save their loved ones from strife. Um, it is to escape their own pain. They cannot see through their own cloudy windows. Um, and, and, and so then when we think about that, a sensitive child is overwhelmed by their own emotions. Uh, we're able to notice what leads to that intensity over and over and over again that then develops into chronic suicidality, chronic self-harm, etc. Um, so when we think about treating, um, treating kids and in, in teenagers uh, with this pattern, I'm talking about um, kids who have active plans. Um, teenagers who have act active plans to, to complete suicide um, where parents are removing um, significantly dangerous things from their homes, et cetera. That's what we do in our private practice, um, working with them to keep, them, keep the kids out of the hospital um, with an evidence-based treatment. It's not just like willy-nilly, like don't go, um, but uh, using an evidence-based treatment to do that. And uh, it's mo much more effective than sending kids to the hospital actually. Um, and in doing that, you need to get pretty clear on what's, uh, how, how these teenagers are, are, are jumping to the conclusions um, that escaping life is, is a totally good option, like a, a relevant option for them, right? You have to be in a lot of pain to deal with that. And so when we think about how that starts, how that snowballs, how that snowball starts at the, the top of the hill, um, the, the exact belief that um, escaping an emotion um, at the very beginning of, of the meltdown cycle or in, in the meltdown cycle when children are younger um, is relevant. It is the core component of uh, needing to escape. And, and you might have heard me say this before, and I'll, I'll say it here. Um, meltdowns are an escape of an emotion. Your child's meltdowns, your child's meltdown behavior is not their emotional behavior. It is a escape to, and it's, it's the, the side effect of avoidance of emotional experiencing. So um, that might be a little heady, like philosophical to, to say, and, and you know, when we teach our clients this, we break it down so that they understand it and they stop judging their kids as manipulative and quote unquote throwing a fit. Um, but the, the big picture, um, overview for you um, because we, we, you know, I don't have <laughs> um, hours and hours to work with you right now um, is, is to understand that the meltdown is a symptom. It's a symptom of, of needing to avoid that emotion because that emotion is so big. And, and if, you're, if you don't have skills to regulate that emotion, then of course you want to avoid it. And so when we think about being able to avoid it, um, it's the same thing as somebody who wants to avoid living altogether, um, which is what um, attempting suicide helps you do, right? So um, the main component to notice is that we need to be raising sensitive kids in a way that helps them thrive. Sensitive kids need to be able to um, feel a-okay with mistakes, feel a-okay with trying even if they don't know, they can't predict that they'll make a mistake or that they'll get it right the first time. Um, that uncertainty is incredibly important and also very uncomfortable for, for sensitive kids to be living through. And uh, that, is, that is really, really um, part of the piece, the missing puzzle pieces that, um, that when you're, you're reassuring your kid that it's gonna be okay, you're missing. And uh, it's important for you to, to break out of that pattern. 
So how do you do that, right? You've heard me speak about our systems here before, and um, I'll do this uh, today. In, in terms of being able to do this consistently, you have to focus on five steps. You have to be able to uh, understand what is a symptom of the cycle compared to what is um, your child's personality. Um, and and that, that means reevaluating re what is uh, true in your child's potential. Um, if you truly believe that the world is their oyster and that they can accomplish anything, then you can't use their challenges or um, uh, major behaviors to dictate uh, what they're capable of. Um, and, and that's really important. Number two is that you need to be able to playfully engage your sensitive child in learning about themselves in a way that helps them continue to grow and um, supports them in being a-okay, uh, experiencing hardship. And that hardship might be self-inflicted um, in terms of, of their own views of, of what's failure and what's, what's success. Um, and so you need to be able to support your kid in doing that regularly. And then next, you need to be able to um, help your sensitive child uh, work on particular behaviors that are obviously unsafe. Uh, thinking that life would be better off without them is an unsafe thought uh, and a super scary thought for sensitive kids to have. Um, and the CDC speaks about this in terms of kids who have these thoughts. Um, they understand more about death than adults give them credit for. Uh, when you when we've you know interviewed children who talk about death, who, who discuss death um, in in the context of wanting to die, um, children are able to un to expressly uh, communicate um, a pretty accurate depiction of what it means to be um, to be dead and um, to not be living anymore. And that's really important uh, for you as a parent to hear. Because um, when we think about being able to understand how incredibly uncomfortable it is for your sensitive kid to be saying that, um, that's hard to hear as a parent and you, and you, and you kind of want to dismiss it. Um, I don't blame you, right? If my kid were saying this, I would want to say, nah, it's not my kid. Um, no, she doesn't really mean it. Um, it's horrifying to hear. And, and so... Um, you know, depending on your child's age, you can kind of go through logic of, of how likely it is that your kid might uh, actually attempt um, ending their life and then leave it at that, right? Um, or just try to have them have somebody to talk to and leave it at that. But that does not address the core root of the parent-child relationship that helps children thrive. When we think about the importance component of sensitive kids, um, even in taking it seriously, and um, it's important to follow the, the, the proper strategy. And the proper strategy means that you are the one teaching your kid how to regulate their emotions um, and, and how to give themselves uh, the ability to gradually um, make changes in, in their life so that they stick and generalize that skill around the environment, not just in an office or in a classroom setting or um, only at home, uh, but not at soccer, et cetera. Um, and obviously removing them from the stress stressful environments doesn't solve the problem either because wherever you go, there you are. So how do we break out of that pattern? You follow a proven system. You have to be working with professionals who know what they're talking about. Um, this is incredibly important, especially at this level of gravity. Um, when we think about the importance of perfectionism, it's very, very important that you know um, that your sensitive kid is um, and, and their intense needs are being handled in a way that you understand them and um, that your sensitive kid knows that you get how big that feeling must be um, in order for them to go all the way down uh, that hole into thinking like that. So um, 
I encourage you to have a conversation with us because we know how to help you break out of this pattern. We've helped hundreds of families break out of the meltdown cycle, and many of them have brought up to us the concern of what we're talking about today um, and, and supporting them in doing that. And with that being said, uh, if the concern is more severe, you know, my, my, um, my team members are significantly trained in discerning whether or not um, clinical therapy is the better route for your family. Um, because um, there is an absolute stopping point where coaching is not appropriate, um, and uh, licensed or not, we would not be we would be operating out of the scope of our specialty uh, as coaches um, if we worked with your family given um, some circumstances. And so we have to have a conversation about whether or not this is a fit um, to to weed that out and, and to tease that out, whether that be with you um, regarding your younger child or with teens and uh, and parents together. Um, for for high school agers, uh, aged uh, kids and up. So uh, let's go ahead and, and have that conversation. Support you in in breaking out of this pattern. Obviously, because it's it's necessary to do quickly, and um, that level of suffering is not something that you need to sustain um, for for any number of days, let alone months or years. Uh, and so I encourage you to have that conversation with our team and we will point you in the right direction. Uh, we will not only do that, right? It's not just information. It's about breaking out of the pattern uh, so that you can take uh, specific and intelligent action on what to do um, that is focused on research and keeps you out of just the thinking process that you've been in for years, uh, whether that's working with us directly um, or in, in a more effective uh, method that, that given your family circumstances would be more appropriate. Uh, I train my people to know exactly how to do that. Um, so we're happy to have that conversation and make sure that everybody who works with us is a great fit and everybody who's not a fit uh, has a plan. Okay. All right. And, um, and whether that be that you're not a fit uh, personally in terms of the, the family's needs, right? Or that it's just not our expertise and that's important to us too. Again, look forward to having the conversation with you and uh, we'll speak to you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson. And we look forward to speaking to you soon.